Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Doing a little bit of history, a little reliving, recapping, and whatnot, but it's it's a special occasion because, number one, I'm here with my dude, Bryn Jonathan Butler, author, filmmaker, and whatnot, of course, my buddy, but also we are talking about a tremendous fight, ridiculous fight, and perhaps, perhaps the greatest fight of all time. We'll get into that, too. We'll talk a little bit about that, if that is can be substantiated or whatnot, but first, Bryn, how you doing, man? I'm good. And and yeah, rewatching this, I was wondering that too. Were we watching the greatest fight ever put on film? I would say. I mean, we can't say what was the greatest fight because we haven't seen Sugar Ray Robinson in his prime or or a number of others, Jack Johnson. But in terms of what's put on film, I was thinking, where does this compare to Gaddy Ward? I think you could argue it's better, even I- though I yeah, no, it's definitely better with all due respect. Cause like Gotti Ward has like like two or three rounds that are really tremendous and fun and exciting, but this is like sustained action, like through pretty much the whole thing. It's sustained action throughout, plus it has an ending that is better than the reveal of Kaiser Soze or Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it's just it has a tremendous movie, and then it's like the most shit kicker ending. Ever, 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 I think, in terms of just a turnaround with that 10th round. The problem is, and this is what I think is really interesting, is in terms of summing up our esteem for this fight, how invested are we in the characters who are involved? Well, they're not Arturo Gatti. It's not Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier or, or Ali and Foreman. It's it's two guys that had that we appreciate that we enjoy you know they're standing ovations during this first fight, but we're not in love with these guys. So it's not like we have two A-list actors, you know, Pacino or Redford and Hoffman or whatever. It's it's two guys who are sort of character actors that we never really fell in yeah, love with. It's it's a slightly more independent film that rose up and you're just like oh my god, yeah. Where it's yeah. it's the material on its own, you know, being recognized. That's it. That that's it. It's the like the gestalt of all of these rounds and what they produced and and how much they left in in, in the ring on this night and and then we're going to get into the second and possible third fight with the controversy there. The controversy that you have in this fight in the tenth round too. It's not just a majestic fight in terms of willpower. There's a presence of mind that Chico has in terms of the mouth guard controversy and and that leads into the second fight, but. It, it's not Arturo Gatti. It's not like we're watching this tragic comet kind of person who put on so many of the, the fights of the year, despite the fact that in overall ability, were, were they a legitimate Hall of Famer? Not relative probably to a lot of other people that you'd compare them to in terms of ability achievement. But if you're talking about excitement produced, if you're talking about producing a gateway drug into falling in love with the sport irrevocably, Peerless, Gaddy. You know, put him against anybody, and I think he wins just in terms of you just I've never cried during fights except on watching Gaddy, you know, take body shots and stuff like that. I don't know why it hits you, you know, but there's a lot of other guys that when you're watching a fight and there's a lot of violence, it's sort of like modern comic book movies. There's no weight to the violence. With Gaddy, it's like you're watching Achilles be brought down. Like there's something mythic about the person. In this fight, there is these mythic moments. It's just we don't have the mythic characters. It's not Achilles and Hector. It's it's two guys where you just go, you start looking away from the main thing and going, wow, what, what's going on over here? 
And I don't think anybody predicted that this fight could be this good. There was definitely hope it would be great. Uh, obviously, Castillo, three years earlier, arguably, and I think both both you and I reviewed it, fought Floyd Mayweather, and the audience thought he'd won. I thought he won by a very close margin, but I thought he did enough to beat Floyd Mayweather. And think about, had the judges gone with Harold Letterman, who had him winning by four rounds against Mayweather, how we would look at Mayweather differently, how Mayweather would look at himself differently, given how much investment he has in the perfect record. Now, he does have a perfect record on paper, but Castillo is the one who lays claim to bringing him the closest to a defeat and arguably defeating him legitimately in terms of what most people saw that night. And and we felt, I think, the same revisiting. I think you did too, right? You had him winning that fight. I, I actually had Mayweather winning close. Okay. But like but excuse me there were rounds that were really close that i gave to mayweather and you gave to castillo but i don't think that you and i really differed all that much with you know what we saw it was just that i thought that um like way back when you know when i watched it i think that my mind was kind of with how a lot of people scored it which was castillo was bullying him and he had him on the ropes and stuff like that. And I think that with the, a little bit of a benefit of rewatching or whatever, I saw that a lot of the shots Castillo was, sh was throwing weren't quite landing and that Mayweather was taking the steam off him a lot. Um, yeah. But that was, that was not the case against Corrales at all. You know, Corrales was, it does not have that kind of defense or, you know, it, it completely different. But that being said, that doesn't really take away from what you're saying because even now it, with you, you bring up Floyd Mayweather and you say he's undefeated and you'll get a whole slew of people coming into whatever replies or comments or wherever you are and saying, Castillo, Castillo got him. So it's, it's kind of the, it, it's hooked on to the, the myth or the, you know, the, it's an asterisk. It, yeah. It's, it's it an is. asterisk. And I want to say it's like, well, two things about Mayweather to his credit. One, it's a super close fight. It's not like Mayweather was dominated, but you watch at the end of that fight. I've never seen Mayweather look more unsure of the decision that was coming than that fight. And the other is that he immediately gave him a rematch and, and far more soundly beat him after he had s shoulder surgery. So full credit to Mayweather. It's not like he ran from him after that loss by any means. He did the opposite. He did what a champion should do. And also was coming up to 135, we should also say, yeah. too. Was not, it wasn't like he was you know coming down or was a comfortable lightweight at that point. He was no, a no, big no. 130, but coming up to 135. And this is, I mean, Floyd gets a lot of criticism. I give it to him, too, about the money Mayweather, selecting opponents, the timing of opponents, taking every conceivable advantage, as is his right as the A-side. Prior to him being Money Mayweather, he was forced to take a shit ton of very difficult fights, and he was fantastic to watch. That guy was very rewatchable and, and was forced because he wasn't generating any money, well, relative to what he did after, for people paying to watch him win. He yeah. just was marketable that way. But when we paid to watch him lose, he became the most marketable athlete in the world, um, which is which is his own self-awareness and understanding of how to actually successfully market himself which nobody had seen prior but that guy who fought castillo i mean he, he probably did have legitimate injuries and fought fought a tremendous fight against a guy who whose punch output was devastating i mean castillo is an animal to to contend with and uh and we certainly saw that going into this three years later i mean castillo had lost nothing coming into this fight against Corrales uh, 
but yeah it's just it's just fascinating just to just to grapple with a fight of this magnitude that's unexpected you know it's it's not it's not Ali Frazier where the expectations are so monumental um and the other thing just just going back to to Mayweather and Castillo Mayweather was a four to one favorite in that fight it's it's not like people went into that thinking oh like this is a 50 50 fight wasn't remotely close Mayweather was heavily favored so Castillo Mm -hmm. defied those expectations in a big way back then yeah the foundation for Mayweather solid is the thing and so that's how you know when somebody's pretty much full of shit when it comes to Mayweather discussions is when they're caught up in the hyperbole and saying he's a fraud he ain't shit you know, he ain't, you know, blah, 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 like, come on, dude. I know you don't like the persona. I get it. I, I'm not a big fan either. But let's not get carried away. He's a legitimately extremely great fighter. Like, Absolutely. And, and on top of that, proved it, you know, on, on his way up. Um, And then kind of swinging back to these guys here, Diego Corrales also fits into Floyd Mayweather's, you know, history, narrative, whatever, his career. That's right. That's um, right. He had also... You know, this is this was. I don't want to say this was the win that made Floyd Mayweather because that's not true. A lot of people misremember, or perhaps they weren't there, and that's okay. Um, but in the late '90s, Floyd Mayweather had already started to creep up on pound for pound lists. So, yeah. the the narrative that he kind of came out of nowhere, nobody was giving him respect, dude. When every single one of your fucking pro fights is televised and broadcast, you're doing okay. You know, this is many of the things that he claimed Floyd Mayweather that is earlier in his career about about his wages and what he was getting paid were exaggerated. He wasn't getting paid what he should have been and he wasn't getting the recognition he should have been getting, but he was getting recognition. Um, and that being said, though, he I I don't believe the odds were all that wide for Mayweather at all coming into the Corrales fight. And there were a lot of people uh, in the media picking Corrales, understandably so. Tall, lanky, big puncher, a uh, guy with a lot of potential, young guy, and at that time, very, very troubled. I think he was troubled kind of throughout his, his adult life. Corrales, that is. I mean, Mayweather, too. But uh, that narrative was kind of played up in the Mayweather fight. Mayweather Corrales, that is. Going into the fight, Diego Corrales had uh, a domestic assault case. Floyd Mayweather told the media, yeah, I'm going to win this fight on behalf of all domestic assault victims and he's I mean, a huge defender of women i mean he, he's always been at, a staunch at this defender. time apparently at this time yeah he's a feminist i mean he's just a feminist who always defends the pride and true yeah absolute yeah but it's really inspiring it was needless to say uh many people recognized the hypocrisy in that fairly quickly when that arose just a but, bit but uh, setting that aside, Floyd Mayweather dominated that fight in a way that was kind of shocking. A lot of people, I mean, they were two, the two top 130-pound fighters. Uh, Diego Corrales had uh, lost his IB, I think it was his IBF belt, because according to him, according to Diego Corrales, he had expressed the desire to Can- Cameron Duncan, his manager, to move up to 135 because he was having trouble making 130. And Cameron Duncan, according to Diego Corrales, on his behalf, contacted the IBF and said, yeah, we're not going to defend the belt. We're going to move to 135. They stripped him, and Diego Corrales was like, what the fuck? I I didn't say do that yet, and was all mad. And so it was supposed, Mayweather Corrales was supposed to have been a unification fight, but it wasn't because Corrales got stripped of the IBF belt. That being said, everybody recognized they were the two top 130 pounders. Mayweather crushed him. 
I mean, you know, uh, the outcome, I guess, was in doubt for some people because they were like, yeah, Corrales could have gone on. Dude, he got knocked down like five or six times and like hard. The last few knockdowns were like brutal. So the fight got stopped. But uh, Diego Corrales, I want to say he did some jail time shortly after that. And so he was had a little bit of time off and then he came back. He fought a number of his fights on ESPN, I remember. But he was like obliterating guys who were kind of like top 25 type of guys and he had moved up. Uh, clearly not making 130 pounds anymore, but he was gunning for the the top fighters in the division without question. And like you kind of swinging back to what you were talking about with Jose Luis Castillo, he had come back also from the Mayweather uh, losses and he had started kind of knocking into a few of the top lightweights. <laughs> the Hispanic causing panic, Juan Lescano, who at the time was a top fighter, fun guy, great fucking nickname to be great honest. Name. You know, yeah. but he had a couple of key wins. I want to say he fought, um, uh, gosh, uh, Steve, uh, can't remember his name. But in any case, he he got a belt and, um, you know, uh, Jose Luis Castillo beat the absolute crap out of him over the distance. And then Yoel Casamayor had a, had a close win with him and then beat the shit out of Julio Diaz real bad. Uh, and Julio Diaz was himself kind of on a comeback and surging in the division. And so uh, Diego Corrales had also kind of fought his way back. He had a couple of hiccups along the way, though. Um, the Yoel, I remember the... Steve Yoel, Forbes, I think, was the name you were looking for, right? Was it Steve Forbes that he... I thought it was I thought it was a little bit bad. Uh, I could be wrong. That was my guess. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, see now I got yeah Stevie Johnson, little bit bad. I couldn't remember oh. his last name. Yeah, not Steve Forbes quite, but in any case, yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, I I wouldn't have been able to move on if I didn't know either. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Diego Corrales, uh, one of the big issues that he had was Joel Casamayor. Um, a lot of people were expecting him to kind of mop up Joel Casamayor in that fight because Casamayor had come up from one thirty. You know, a lot of as you know, Cuban fighters, they kind of have wonky primes. They, you know, it doesn't really know when the bottom drops out uh, for a lot of Cuban fighters, but Yoel Casamayor wound up really sticking with it for a long time and remaining toward the top of the division. But one of the worst injuries I've ever seen in a fight, Yoel Casamayor versus Diego Corrales in the first fight where he split the mouth guard through his lip. I don't know if you remember that, but man, that oh. shit was brutal. So much blood. But... Diego Corrales righted the ship, won rematch, and then in kind of the supreme irony of this entire Castillo saga, especially the first fight, Diego Corrales uh, beat up Asolino Freitas, who was undefeated at the time, because Freitas kept spitting out his mouthpiece. He knocked him down repeatedly, and repeatedly, Asolino Freitas kept spitting out his mouthpiece. And that's kind of where we are as far as bringing... Diego Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo back around. They had beaten all of the other lightweights that really mattered in that division. And it was a very good lightweight division. And that's why, you know, you had mentioned before, um, you, you can look at the attendance of Corrales Castillo one. It was like 4,000 something or 5,000 something. Yeah. Yeah, but but the amount of people who tell you they were there is like 55,000 something. Bro, Everybody was there. Nobody was there, dude. Hardcore types knew that this was the fight. Just like just like fucking uh Ward Gotti won. Everyone will tell you, oh no, we knew about no, you didn't, dude. That's why that's why it was on fucking boxing after dark. 
and not just because there wasn't a championship on the line, you know, because they've done that before where they've put non-championship fights on championship boxing. If they know, you know, it's that level. It was because it was it was a like hardcore matchup. That, that's yeah. all. Same thing with the Corrales Castillo one. People knew it was just that, you know, it was hardcore. There was no money to pump into this. And that's why it wasn't very well attended either. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I remember War Daddy. I can never forget it because I was flying to Spain that night. And I almost missed my plane because they were showing it in the airport. Canadian television showed it live. And uh, I was just like, I, how can I leave after after what's going on? They're like, there is one last passenger remaining. On the, I, I, I must see the conclusion of this fucking thing. And I watched him lose and I started crying. I never, I don't think I've ever cried over a fight beyond that one. But yeah, getting on a plane alone to Spain. Uh, boy, that fight. But but yeah, I mean, it's in, interesting when you talk about the mix here of just the the caliber of competition at this time for our two guys, Corrales and Castillo. Because yeah, I think Casamayor fought uh, Corrales three times. Was it four? Three? No, three. I think three. It's just the the other one came later. Yeah, came on came on a little later. So I think mm-hmm. I think Casamayor won twice. I mean, Casamayor was a beast, and he came over. Unlike most of the Cubans, he was pretty young. I think he was twenty five when he finally defected. Um, but yeah, I mean, both of these guys are in a really interesting position coming together. I mean, even just physically, it's such an interesting fight because Corrales just is so long for that weight class. He's so tall. He's not the longest reach. He doesn't even fight that way though. That's the crazy thing. No, no, no. He just, he goes right into the, excuse me, the phone booth from the get-go and you're just now again they don't have much difference in reach despite the height differential i think we're talking about 69 inches and 70 inches like it's almost identical i mean floyd i think floyd is even though he's only 58 or so it's like tremendous reach 72 and a half, yeah tremendous reach i mean roger was even more ridiculous in terms of his reach for his height as does terence crawford huge reach for a guy his size at 58 it's a very common anatomical yeah. advantage Technically, your reach is supposed to be roughly equal to your height. So when your reach is a lot longer than you know you are tall, that's that's not it's not bad. It's great in boxing in a lot of ways, but it's just not average or normal or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Roger was I think five seven. Roger Mayweather, and I think he had a seventy four inch reach. So he's got the reach of a six foot guy. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, it's just just really really strange. But um, but I mean, coming into this, I mean, both of these guys are not not spring chickens. Back in May seventh, two thousand five, I think they're are they twenty seven and and thirty? Is that the right ages? I think so. And I mean, like I said, you know, they've run through the lightweight gauntlet, both of them. Yeah, they've both been through the gauntlet. I mean, another feature of this fight for Corrales is he's gonna never win another fight because he's dead of a motorcycle accident uh, in, I think, exactly two years after this. Sorry, just the way you said that. He's never going to win another fight because he's dead. Because he's dead. No, I'm not celebrating. I just mean, but it's a it's an interesting yeah. thing that he's going to, you know, come back in the next one. And there is a component. It does raise questions, you know. It does, because in the, in the second fight, he is willing to allow for a weight differential. The guy, you know, Castillo comes in heavy. And Corrales just says, fuck it, like, like, let's fight. But by the third fight, he's unwilling to do that. He's, I have a wife and kids sort of thing. And it's weird because 
it's it's deeply annoying. It's it's profoundly unprofessional to come in above weight, even with the fine and everything like that. Like it's it's there's just something unsettling about the advantage that that offers somebody, especially when they know they're going to come in without having to sort of just kill themselves to make weight. Like both of these guys are really suffering to make weight. Um, but then you have the mouth guard issue, which is going to like we're going to get into it, but. It's fascinating to watch it. I mean, I think you could argue that both times in this fight, uh, Corrales was very conscious of, of what impact it would have and what advantage. Three times, actually. He did it three, three times. He did it a couple rounds earlier. Okay. And, I mean, one time, I mean, it's clear he's using his glove to just Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But even the other time, you can you can see the way he's thinking about it. Like, oh, okay, what do I do to 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 sort of mitigate that I've been fucked up and I need to recover? Now, you could give him credit for that and say, what a brilliant thing for him to do, you know, to accept the penalty. But if had he not done it, what would have been the result? Why don't more people take advantage of, like, learn from this just to get that extra? Because I think he got one point, 18 seconds for the second time he was knocked down. It's like an extra 12 or 15 seconds for the first time. So it, it depends how you look at it, whether you want to give him some credit for that presence of mind after being knocked down savagely knocked down or if you want to say maybe there should have been more of a punishment to to disincentivize this kind of behavior so so i don't know but i mean i'm way getting ahead of, of where we're going but i mean these guys are pretty seasoned professionals going into this first fight 39 and 2 for uh, corrales 52 and 6 for castillo with 46 knockouts el terrible has never been knocked down going into this. Just a tremendous chin. I mean, both these guys, amazing chins. And uh, part of kind of, sorry to interject real yeah. quick, but part of uh, Castillo's narrative, sorry, uh, is that he was, when he was a teenager, a sparring partner for uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, which of yeah. course is not only a great honor, but especially if you're a Mexican, a young Mexican fighter coming up who's roughly the same size, not only a great honor, but like, I mean, you know, that's just invaluable when you're fucking in your teens. You know what I'm saying? And he was a sparring partner for a while and kind of got Julio Cesar Chavez like, you know, endorsement or kind of stamp of approval as a fighter. Yeah, I mean, Chavez, Chavez came in with him like as part of his entourage for this fight. And I mean. Chavez is one of my absolute all-time fighters. Duran, number one. But Chavez, I love everything about the esteem that Chavez represents for Mexicans and boxing fans around the world. I mean, just amazing. So, yeah, Castillo clearly earned that. I would love to see some of those sparring sessions, too. I mean, Chavez was just just such an incomparable force in the ring. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot going into this fight, and I think there is – big expectations for what these two guys can produce but it's not neither of these guys was thought of like gaddy where you just knew gaddy would gaddy every single fight regardless of opponent could produce the fight of the year just because the way he fought like the way he fought and what he was compelled to fight like given the action of a given opponent or whatever so there was there's was something both expected that this would be a quality fight, but nobody had a sense that this would be a fight of the century, let alone, as we say, possibly the greatest 10 rounds ever captured on film. Yeah, definitely nobody expected. I, I talk about the hardcore expectations, but nobody, nobody was calling it like this. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, I will say 
early in the fight, pretty early in the fight, Al Bernstein seemed to recognize like some, a spark was being lit here. And so that's one of the cool things about the commentating, being able to kind of go back and rewatch and listen. And uh, But, you know, yeah, let's get right into the fight because what a what a fight. Well, and um, first of all, having Al Bernstein as opposed to so many of these other fights we've had with Mamma Mia and all this, you know, <laughs> everybody's on fuego. It's just so difficult for us. Like, we just loathe these people and the colonel and, you know, God bless all his racist misogyny and the murders he's gotten away with or whatever. But I, I can't stand them. Al Bernstein, I love. Al Bernstein is great. Steve Farhood, we're going to get in here, too, is one of my favorite people in boxing. And uh, why did he not get more work as a commentator? He's smart. I, he's got a great voice. I don't get it. I appreciate that in the recent years, Showtime Boxing has brought on. And like, and I'm not even kidding. I don't mean this as a joke. Like, I appreciate that they employed a whole bunch of people. Like, it got kind of absurd at the end where they would put like their on-screen team and it's like square 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 square, square and there's like fucking 15 people and yeah. that that looks kind of absurd however like i said they're employing a lot of people in a industry where there's not a ton of jobs and i appreciate that however some of the people <laughs> employing were not very good or no. at least were just not my favorite i should say and so you know i yeah i really appreciate going back and watching this fight and listening to this fight and not being like, God, I got to turn this shit down or turn it, turn it off. Cause it's, it's appropriate. Like it's, it's good. No, you, you, who the hell would not want Al Bernstein sitting on their couch talking about a fight? He's great. Just, just like, and he's called some of the greatest fights too. Uh, greatest great. fights of all time. Uh, you know, going back into the eighties and maybe late seventies too, but he's been yeah. part of some of the greatest fights of all time on the call. Yeah, so I mean, we're talking about like behind the scene personnel, but I mean, it like you watch as many fights as you and I do. Jesus Christ, to to have Bobby Chez calling a fight is not easy. Yeah, so dude, anyway. the '90s were kind of in the early 2000s were kind of rough on Showtime there. <laughs> Fuck. So yeah, I mean, the notes I have in the first the first round, I mean, both are opening up a little bit cautiously, but right away you see the arsenal of punches that both guys possess. There's just no way defensively that they're going to be able to fight close, sort of in a trench, and not have most of the stuff land. So you just go, are they willing to go through with this? Is this going to be like the, the tenor of the fight? And of course, it's going to get way worse. And then the body attacks start by, by halfway through the first round, and you're going, oh, this is going to be something brutal, especially with what Castillo is showing. And you go, oh, Castillo's going to take this over, even though he's a, he's a, we, we haven't mentioned, but he's a notoriously slow starter. And he's also notorious at coming on stronger with every successive round. And you want to see that in spades, watch him against Mayweather. You can see May, Mayweather just being like, nobody is, should be allowed to have this kind of volume of punches. And it just gets more and more and more as you get into the eighth, ninth, tenth round. It, it, it's just Mayweather. It's just like nobody should be allowed to fight this way. I've never sparred against this. It's fascinating to see somebody who's fought everything as an amateur and everything as a pro look flustered. Floyd never looks flustered. Here, as Castillo is just coming on with these vicious body shots, he gets such leverage in them. Suddenly, Chico Corrales comes back with massive punishment, and you go, oh, he's all in. Both of these guys are just laying everything out on the line, and the end of the round just ends in these toe-to-toe -to -toe flurries where you go, 
whoa, okay, are they willing to do this again? If they are, anybody could fall at any moment. I don't care if Castillo hasn't been dropped. If he's going to be dropped, it's going to be tonight. And he's willing to risk it, As and Corrales just steps up to do the exact same. So you, you can see right away, as an opening chapter to, as we're saying, <laughs> arguably the greatest film, the greatest fight, or 10 rounds of a fight ever filmed, uh, the first round is suggestive of something very special. No question. And, you know, stylistically, uh, you can see that, like, uh, for instance, against Mayweather, it's like Castillo is, it's, I, I, you said it earlier, like, I don't want to characterize him as some, like, brawler or somebody who's not good or something like that, because there's a lot of skill there. And on top of that, infighting takes skill. That's kind of the, and, and brawling. That's the misconception, you know, is that at the highest levels, brawling or being a brawler is like not skilled. Wrong. There is a lot of skill to doing that and doing it well um, and doing it in a way where you don't get your own ass kicked in the meanwhile. And so that being said, though, against Mayweather, Castillo is almost kind of like just overwhelming the precision. Like he's just like, all right, you're going to try to fucking you're going to try to snip, snip, snip here and there. Then I'm just going to fucking come at you with everything. And and if you hit me, fine, but I'm just going to fucking throw, 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 throw. And he kind of tries the same kind of thing early on against a Corrales, but instead Corrales just stands in there. And you can tell, even the commentators are like, yeah, I'm not really sure this is what Corrales should be doing or this is his game, which is true. There's a lot of truth to that. Corrales should be because part of the narrative of the whole lightweight thing going into this is that Corrales was doing very well against Casamayor in the first fight and wound up knocking him down. But himself, I think he got knocked down. If he didn't get knocked down, he got countered real hard, and that's what caused the split in his lip. But then in the rematch, he the whole narrative was like, oh, can he use his, his height? Can he use his jab? Can he use his boxing skill? And he got uh, Goosen in there in his corner, and Goosen was really encouraging him to get jabbing and whatnot, and he used his jab against Casamayor in the rematch. And that's really what helped get him that win uh, in a pretty close fight. But nonetheless, that's what helped get him the win. And so that's where they're coming from here early in this fight. It's like, oh, is he, is Corrales going to go back to using his jab like he did against Casamayor? No. No. <laughs> Castillo wasn't going to let him either. That was basically what it came down to. Uh, like you said, it body punching, too. The body punches are just disgusting, even early yeah. on. And one thing that I noted, and also, again, benefit of hindsight was that Castillo is doing this thing that he does later on that really winds up, you know, being the the kind of the thing that ignites the 10th round and that's that he he's landing this body work which is nasty but then he he did it he did it twice in the first round where he faints to the body and then throws a hook upstairs and that's exactly the sequence he caught him with in the 10th round um, and he caught him with it once, but just not very hard in the in the first round. So I was I noted that and was like, huh, all right, all right. I gave the first round to Castillo, but dude, you know, <laughs> there are there are a number of rounds in this fight where I'm just kind of like, if you scored yeah. it the other way, I'm gonna be mad at you. I did score it the other way, and I mean, this is another thing I like about these kind of fights is, you know, like I notice occasionally in the comment section, it's like you guys are biased to this guy or that. I have absolutely no allegiance to either of these fighters. Like, I just like what they produce. That's what I care about with both of these guys in particular. 
I'm not invested. I don't dislike them. I don't, I'm not in favor of them. Um, and even stylistically, I like their styles, even though they're different, about the same. Which is a weird way to watch a fight because ordinarily, like, I absolutely am playing favorites in terms of what style I prefer. One of the wonderful things about boxing is there's going to be somebody around your size who would fight the way you would fight given your limitations or your strengths. So there's more room for identification. They're not superheroes. It's not like watching an NFL where it's, you know, like... I, I can bench press a lot of weight, but compared to what these guys do on the combine... There's a lot of variety. So it's like yeah. make your own player type of thing. You know, there's, it. it could That's be anybody. It. it could be anybody. So there's something about, like, you might like the little guy here or the tall guy or, or whatever. I just like both of their styles, and I like both of, of what happens organically. I mean, one of the great things about boxing is it's like you could recommend a friend of yours to date another friend of yours because on paper they should fit but you have no idea what the chemistry is going to be between them. And it's just like with these two, it's like, yeah, it should, it should work out. Like they, they probably going to fuck after a couple of dates. If they meet, like, it seems like they get along. Not that it would be this, <laughs> not that they're willing to die because of what they discover in this first round. So, I mean, even going into the second, they're in the trenches immediately, just immediately, like whatever happened that first yeah. time, let's go right back at it. And Castillo, after a minute, lands a flurry of these clean shots. I mean, Jesus Christ, Castillo, in terms of not blocking that hook, and, and even going into the second fight, it's even worse, where it's like Castillo can't throw a left hook without just landing flush against the jaw. It's so brutal. And and what a credit to Corrales' chin to take these shots. Castillo can hit. Um, and he's digging to the body. And again, you just think, Corrales has to be eroding. These punches have to be having an impact. He, you just can't take this many clean shots from a puncher who has the kind of knockout ratio that Castillo has. As we mentioned, 46 knockouts of 52 fights that he, where he wins. He's breaking people down, and he's not really looked better in terms of the kind of like efficacy of the power shots he's landing here to the head and to the body and a guy who's not particularly defensive-minded, which is Chico. And then all of a sudden, Corrales pours it on. Corrales just starts coming on. He becomes super active on the inside. It becomes a complete war in a phone booth, even more than it was. And Chico, near the end of the round, hurts Castillo, clearly. Which, again, this guy's never been knocked down, so there's great drama there. Even if we're not falling in love with the personality, we love sort of the resume that he's demonstrated across a long career, 60 fights up to this point. Um, Castillo with an uppercut and a hook combo is what does the real damage. It's a beautiful combination. It's brutal. Castillo is ripping to the body in response to this, and then Chico clocks Castillo at the end of the round and clearly just rattles him. Um, so it, 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 I have it two rounds to nothing for Chico at this point, but again, like you're saying, I don't know that it's even a fight that anybody should give a shit scoring. Because I know. I almost felt dumb, like, scoring yeah, it. I, I almost was like, what am I doing here? But but we're scoring it, so I scored, scored it, too. It, but but I, at the same time, to have no allegiance to what you yourself have scored, I found myself, I needed to look at other articles that had depicted this fight and just to see where they where they kind of landed on it because I'm, I'm lost in the action while I'm watching it. Like, you're just, you're like, who... 
There's a reason why this is the only sport that doesn't allow you to see the score as it's going along because you're going to you're just going to get lost into this. You're not going to see it's not about it's sort of like like an actor who has great technique and you go, wow, what a great Shakespearean actor versus an actor you get lost in the story. And that's what these guys are like. There's good technique. It's it's there. But this is a, this is where you are just in the story and you yeah. don't care about things like scoring or judging or whatever. You're just kind of like, I can't believe I get to watch this or rewatch this kind of thing. Like it is amazing after two rounds. I I also scored it for Corrales. Um, and I thought that, yeah, he clearly kind of shook up, hurt, whatever you want to call it, uh, Castillo. And Castillo shows his kind of signature, like when he gets hurt, um, it's like part of the problem is that he's got this poker face, but he's coming forward. Yeah. But then when he gets dinged up, it's like he stops and he ain't coming forward anymore. And he's kind of got to back up a little bit. And it's like, mm, that's your tell, dude, because you, you all of a sudden you're kind of like, uh, let me take a sec. <laughs> and I mean, you never take a sec. So yeah. you're a fucking hemped. You can't do it. <laughs> but that's exactly, you know, that's kind of the tell. Um, but I I noted early in the round that I was kind of like, all right, you know, uh, Corrales is just standing in there too long. Like he's he's do doing okay, but he's standing in there too long. And the combination that kind of seemed to stun him is because he was standing in there way too long. And Corrales is kind of cuffing with a lot of his shots. But then all of a sudden, that's when he starts just landing. Like it was like out of nowhere, like halfway th through round two. It was just he he couldn't fucking miss. And he wound up hurting Castillo. So, yeah, I thought that was a pretty good Corrales round. But just, a, you know, it's already back and forth. They've already stunned one another in one round. Like, it's already a tremendous fight. Um, going into round three, uh, I thought that Corrales started the round fighting kind of like he thought that Castillo was still hurt. Because he came right at Castillo and was just like, let's fucking get it. And the thing was, of course, Castillo, tremendous chin, great recuperative powers. And by that time, he was like, you know, he was a little bit cautious, but he was fighting. You know, he wasn't really taking too many backward steps. Um, and I thought that he, one of the things that he was doing was that even though Corrales is a little bit quicker in his hands, I think, Castillo had figured out how to land his hooks between Corrales's shots. And that was that was doing a lot of damage kind of in the meanwhile. And Corrales was like firing combinations, but like in the middle of his combination, he'd be like whack, you know, with a fucking hook. And that was kind of taking a bit of a toll. But it's like, I don't even know how much I, I don't know how you score this in terms of like who the damage or whatever, you know, because it's just back and forth and back and forth. But one of the things I also did know was that in round three, Castillo started making some adjustments. Uh, his corner yelled, come on, start start working your uppercut. That's exactly what he did because Corrales has got one arm in here and is kind of leaning in. And Castillo threw like eight uppercuts in round three and was just like, bank, 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 and just kept fucking hitting him. And I was like, all right, you know, in the midst of all this ridiculous, just fucking moving action, you know, there is a lot of skill and there is nuance happening here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have Chico's just jumping in from the get-go with unrelenting volume of attack. The punches are just coming from everywhere. He's totally outworking Castillo. Castillo is focusing on single shots and vicious uppercuts. But but Chico is trying to land combinations, and and I, I you know that's usually going to win out, especially when they're. I think about equal hand speed. 
I think I think Corrales has particularly fluid combinations the way he throws them. So again, you're just kind of like, well, Castillo probably has a little bit more power, but Corrales has these combinations where a second shot, a third shot could land more cleanly than a single kind of pot shot. Then again, they're uppercuts, and those uppercuts, you know, it's the worst punch to get hit by, in my in my opinion. Um, and then like the last minute, Castillo just comes on after he's absorbing punishment. And Chico lands a devastating hook, but Castillo just, it just seems to like galvanize another gear somehow. I mean, this yeah. is not supposed to happen. This is just not the way it works, that you take an unrelenting amount of punishment and it allows you to ascend to your, like, beyond your potential of ability. So it's it's just another feature of this fight, which is just bizarre. Um, but I thought that Castillo pouring it on at the end in my opinion, did enough at the end of the round to steal it and to reveal a little bit that Corrales, there was some impact. He's he breaking him just a teeny bit, just a, bit. a teeny bit. He's slowing a bit. He looks a little bit concerned about, ooh, I thought I had him. I thought I could take him out at the beginning of the round or, or really knock off a big chunk of him. I didn't. And he seems to be a stronger guy now than he was before. Huh, I don't I don't I don't know if I can meet that in terms of willpower. And and he's hurting me. <laughs> these risks that I'm taking. Um, I don't know how often I want to keep taking these bets in terms of pouring it on, it means I'm gonna to have to accept a lot of punishment from this guy, and this guy is getting stronger. So it's the first round I gave to Castillo. I I, I thought Corrales won the first two thirds of the round, but but I just felt at the end sometimes not in a Sugar Ray Leonard sense, because I absolutely despise Sugar Ray Leonard while respecting him, um, stealing those rounds against Duran and that sort of thing. But I, I thought uh, I thought Castillo just came on. And then, like, give me your fourth round. I agree. I thought he did a little bit more damage. Same score, except for I got 2-1 Castillo instead of 2-1 Corrales. But, again, whatever. Um, but the tell for round four as far as letting you know that Corrales was hurt, was that he comes out jabbing, looking for distance all of a sudden. And that's part of that was Goosen telling him to do that too. And, you know, Goosen has a way of like, you know, if he ain't doing your shit, he'll get in your face quietly, yeah. but sternly. Yep. And he'll let you know you need to, like, what the fuck are you doing? Might cuss at you a little bit. And uh, so Corrales comes out looking to jab, as he should anyway, because with that fucking reach and everything, but uh, it doesn't really last very long because you could tell that Castillo kind of recognizes, like, all right, dude, I'm on to something. And he closes the gap real quick. At that point, it's like, you know, every single time Corrales tries to do that in this fight, every time, it's like it works for a bit. And then Castillo's like, no, we're getting back in there, which is just <sighs> every fucking round, dude. You're sitting there going, it can't get better. It can't, it can't accelerate from this. And it does, like every almost every single round. So in any case, uh, Corrales he start he actually does pretty well from a distance, uh, landing good hooks. But Castillo just gets inside. You know, every single time Corrales pushes him off, gets inside. Uh, unfortunately, the body work from Castillo I thought was going a little unnoticed uh, by the Showtime commentators, at least relative to how it was landing. Because man, it was loud, it was hard, uh, and also Diego Corrales has that like you know long skinny body. So shit's just shaking him. He's taking him okay. Like, he's not reacting, but, man, he's just getting thwacked. Uh, that being said, 
Corrales is still like lashing out just about every time Castillo is on him. Corrales is still lashing out. It's not like he's like giving up or anything like that. He's trying to kind of push back. The thing is that you could see, in my opinion, visually, Castillo's punches were starting to kind of like thud a little bit. Like, like you said, I think that you put it really nicely. Like Corrales does this thing where he'd be like, you know, like finish with a nice hook, but off a combination. Castillo's just kind of, you know, doing that type of shit. And, and it's like starting to weigh on Corrales. Like he's starting to kind of have to dig in a little bit more rather than throw a combination here, throw a combination there type of shit. Uh, but it's taking its toll on both of them because even just standing in here for four rounds, you know, Castillo with the body work, but Corrales is uh, getting caught toward the end of the round, starting to kind of back off, but Castillo's face is getting bloody and he gets cut. So it's, it's really back and forth. I scored round four for Castillo, but again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think kind of my feeling is sort of Corrales is working with a machete and Castillo has a sword, like in terms of their punching power. Like yeah. they're both hurting each other, but when Castillo gets through, it is going to do more damage, and yet the machete is going to be able to hit hit you more often. Uh, fourth round and still do damage it's just absolutely. that the sword's kind of taking bigger chunks yeah yeah yeah. That, that that's all we're saying like i don't want to be hit with either <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> no thank you um but yeah i mean i have to after the first minute chico lands a flush hook and castillo just fires back immediately so again like both of these guys are just elevating as they're getting punished this this is percent of great fights let alone of just fights overall and it becomes this grueling battle on the inside uh by by mid midpoint of the round castillo's eye opens up like you can start seeing damage is being inflicted you see a lot more of that as this fight goes along where there's cut there's a big mouse um but I just thought Castillo is doing enough for me to even even the round here at two two, on the fifth fifth round, changes a little bit for a moment. You've got more distance between these guys, the punishment that's being absorbed and being dished out is is just astonishing because like every time you just see it has to go off a cliff here because of this flurry of punches or whatever, the other guy brings it back even more so. The back and forth, I mean, it's it's tennis, but up close with punching. Like, it's like a great rally in tennis, except it's not at distance. And, and like, my father-in-law was a Division One tennis player, and he's always like, why would I like boxing? I'm like, because you, you love tennis. It's the same. It's just bring it closer together. That's, that's the beauty of it. That's why I can appreciate tennis, because it's boxing at distance. So here, I mean... Corrales is just busier with punch output, um, but I I wouldn't begrudge you if you said Castillo's punches are doing more damage and gave it to him. I just scored it a little bit more here for um, for Chico in the fifth. I just thought he did enough to sort of pour it on. So, I mean, he's now up around. I have it 3-2, but as I say, it, it's more than any other fight where I just don't give a shit about the score. I, even if I was a judge, I think I'd just be like, I don't want to waste time with that. I just want to watch. I, it, I wimped out and scored it even. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I was just like, man, because Corrales gets Castillo to the ropes, but then Castillo's fighting well off the ropes. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? I, I couldn't really, I thought that it was a pretty close round. So I was like, you know, I'm not even going to bother. 
Um, I did score the rest of the rounds, no more even rounds, but I but that was a close round for me because, like you said, started off distance distance was a little wonky, but Castillo was jabbing well with Corrales as the thing, so it wasn't like Corrales was getting a clear and it was it was tough round anyway. Um, but round six is really when I mean, dude, it's already at like a nine and a half, and then all of a sudden round six is just like. It's like, oh my god, this is what I wrote insane grinding action to begin the round. That's what I wrote. Corrales landing better, uh, but he's right there for Castillo and he's eating a number of big shots. Action not easy to score, body shots from Castillo, nice hook from Corrales. Castillo's eating everything without issue thus far. Good head movement from Corrales. All of a sudden, he eats a hook and an uppercut that seems to rock him. Corrales staggered at the bell, doing really well in that round, and then just lost it, is what I, is what I put. Like, doing very good, had come back from kind of an early deficit, and then got seemed kind of out of sorts at the bell. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Castillo from his corners urged to work more on the inside. I mean, this is one of those weird fights to have anybody say. Work more on the inside. Not working hard more. enough. More. Yeah. You know, what's, what's lacking in this is effort here, Castillo. Come on. <laughs> come on. What are you Like, yeah, you're, right now it's sort of moderate. Be terrible. Like, like, come on. You're fighting like your mom. What are you yeah. doing? What? So he outlands. I mean, Castillo comes on and for the first time in the fight outlands um, Chico for the first time in the fight. And that's kind of notable where you go, whoa, there's this gear after he's absorbed a lot of punishment. Um, and you're seeing Chico showing fatigue for the first time. I bet it's a combination not just of the physical, but seeing a guy pour it on where you're like, that's my advantage, is I can outpunch him. Now he's doing it to me. How? Why aren't my punches taking more effect? This should not be happening. And uh, end of the round, I have in my notes, and, and like you and I have done many fights over the years. Um, to say that a fight is veering into Gaddy Ward-like intensity is not a common refrain I have watching action. I'm not prone to hyperbole to evoke that that fight. This one is doing it. I gave the round to Castillo. I have it even now. But it it's it's really something. I remember as a little kid asking my grandfather why he like who who did he cheer for watching hockey? I'm Canadian. And he's saying, I don't give a shit. I want to see a good game. And I thought, what a bullshit response. Like, how do you, the whole point is, is to pick a team and, and to be against another team. This is one of those ones where I feel that way. Who gives a shit who wins at this point? Because the quality is so high that um, they're just giving so much. That, like, it's oh. like, it's sorry to interrupt you, but it's like one of those movies where like there's a scene and there's like a horse racing scene and there's the dude with all the tickets. And it's so intense and crazy that he just throws the tickets. Like, I don't give a fuck. You know, because yeah. it's so good. You just don't it's even so, care. It, it just is. You just, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of like like what they say in terms of the, the cliche four corners thing about where does an audience go given all of these offerings of entertainment or sports or whatever. And, and where the fight breaks out is where people go because there is the, the stakes are bigger than everything else. But this fight is beyond just violence, beyond just, you know, seeing guys hurt each other or whatever. This is this is the best that the sport really one of one of those rare offerings where this is what it can do. This is what it can show you about human beings. 
you know, even though they couldn't articulate it if you asked them about it, but they're articulating it physically. And uh, yeah, so this sixth round is just taking it to a totally different level of, of uh, it's the best round so far. And, and yeah, in a bunch cool. of already really good rounds, it's just like, what, what are you guys yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, and we, and sit tight. Cause we ain't done yet, baby. <laughs> Not by a fucking long shot. No. Um, again, round seven starts. And the telltale sign is that Corrales is trying to keep his distance and trying to get it because he's like, yo, I'm getting beaten up a little bit here. Um, and I mean, at least that's what I took it as. That's what it looked to me like if you're even going to get into the analytical shit about this violence here. But uh, he's he kind of he's doing well at a distance in round seven. But what I noted also is that it doesn't like look natural. Like he's not skipping around. He doesn't have, and he doesn't have super great footwork to begin with. He he fights with really flat feet. He's not, uh, you know, he doesn't skip or doesn't really have a whole lot of lightness or levity to his step, like in in general. And he doesn't hear. Like he's already really tired. He's doing his best to kind of keep his distance. And Castillo lands a combination to get back inside. And Kraus kind of fighting like he doesn't want to fight in there, but he's just has no choice. And the problem is that uh, Castillo digs in, nice right hand from Corrales, Castillo's back on him, uh, but then all of a sudden, tremendous combination from Corrales, and then uh, it looks initially like Castillo's inside work is going to start overwhelming him again, and then Corrales initially uh, la lashes out, kind of seems like he's getting beaten up, then bang, rocks Castillo right at the bell, which is really what uh, Corrales needed in this fight where it looked like shit was starting to slide downhill for him and Castillo was not going to be denied. That's exactly what Corrales needed. And all of a sudden, this fight goes from excellent to where the fuck are we going with this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just as you said, beginning of the round, Corrales is making an adjustment. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 no. Are, are we really going to, is this going to become a box? going to last. And it doesn't. It, it 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 degenerates almost immediately, and I, I I don't mean that in terms of quality that it degenerates mm. back into slugfest mode, because that is where they are asserting who they are in this fight against each other. It is. I mean, you're going to hear later on one of the corners just say it balls. That's what we're measuring here. Is just balls. And and you know wherever wherever it is in your life that you have been tested in a way that you just go. Do I have what it takes to just stand up to this goddamn thing? That these guys are at this kind of level. I mean, seventh round, you've got the mouse under one eye of Chico, the cut is under the other. They're gonna be huge problems. They already are problems. And Castillo is just walking through bombs to score attacks to the body of Corrales. And and any one of these could knock him out. I don't care if he's never been knocked down. So you've got that feeling of. I just have no idea where this is going. Either guy could lose. Either guy could get dropped. Will that make them better? Just or... as it seemed to clearly go in one direction. Yeah. There's so many twists and turns within this. And and you were talking, too, and, and you're absolutely right. When you're talking about inside fighters, I mean, watch Riddick Bowe early in his early in his career for a guy who's 6'5", fighting on the inside. That's There's nothing natural about being able to fight on the inside. It's just like you were saying, Patrick. It's... It's so technical. Watch Bud Crawford on the inside. Look what he did to Earl Spence in terms of countering just a split second with an uppercut when a hook is coming because you know that's the right punch to throw. It's all technique. 
there, there's just very little about it that's instinct. I mean, there is an instinct component to it, but it's it's almost more technical, I think, than sort of fighting on the outside. And both of these guys are oh, turning it into something where you don't want to watch because you can see how much damage is being inflicted, but it's so compelling you can't look away. And Castillo tries to steal this round, but is met with a devastating hook that buckles his legs. And again, the momentum shifts, the paradigm shifts that are happening throughout this goddamn fight. And and at the end of this round, it's the biggest one yet. And uh, Corrales takes the round for me. It's now 4-3. I mean, I, I, I just don't know of any fights where it's just back and forth, back and forth to this degree. It's it's just, it's so violently oscillating who whose narrative it seems to be. Um, it's just this fight. Like, I, I don't know, there's, it is a sui generis fight. There's nothing like it. Yeah, it's, I, I, even just re-watching it, dude, I, I was starting to feel like, you know, not giddy, just like a moved, you know, just, I'm just watching it going like, Jesus. What, yeah. You know, like you said a moment ago, like the, whatever challenges in your life or, you know, things where you've been, uh, de- where something has demanded that you rise, you know, and these guys, and I know, like, you know, this is a fight. This is not life. This is not like losing somebody's life or, you know, something like that. But nonetheless, it's like the that, that microcosm for larger things is like almost like these two guys are letting you know, like, no, you can't do this. You cannot do this, what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now is so beyond anything that, you know, all you guys experience from a day to, you know, not to belittle the day-to-day existence of anybody, but that that's what this, that's what's happening in the ring here. Um, round eight, massive shots from Corrales at the start. Castillo looks hurt, then just walks back inside like a fucking animal. Corrales walks into two big shots. They stand inside and trade like a pair of absolutely insane blood, blood crazed maniacs. That's how it fucking, you know, it, it, it was like, Every single round, I'm like, okay, it's going to start kind of slowing down. It's going to, st- no, dude. From this point on, it just kind of kept going. That's what was really crazy was that, like you said a couple rounds ago, this is starting to get into kind of Gotti Ward territory. That was a few rounds ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what you were saying earlier, too, that I think is true, when we're comparing this to to life, I mean, I was just thinking about, Anthony Bourdain, when he would meet people for the first time, anybody who might work with him or something like that, he'd always show up 15 minutes early. He he never was beaten to any meeting ever. And if you showed up late, he basically wrote you off as a person. Because if you don't take seriously respecting the person you're meeting, there's a very good chance that how you live your life approaching small things, even more so is going to be the case with big things. And Customato was really emphatic on that point. Any major problem or obstacle that you avoid in a small area will follow you the rest of your life. How you approach one thing is how you're going to approach everything. Um, Stanley Kubrick said that about filmmaking. Problem solving in one thing is problem solving in all things. You get better at solving problems, regardless of what those problems are, the genres of them and stuff like that. So, I mean, eighth round, here's a split screen of the two corners, a bit like what Mark Cram did with that great piece on, on uh, Frazier and Ali in their third fight. He's dead. He's dead is what Castillo is hearing in his corner in the other corner of Corrales. It's all balls. Am I wrong? 
way better than any fucking screenwriter would offer about like Stallone is not coming up with the shit. He would plagiarize this shit. Yeah, of course. Sure. And get a statue for it. Yeah, like go watch the Tommy Morrison film with with uh, Rocky and see how many custom auto lines are just completely ripped off throughout it. And it's like, really? Like this, you can't even add to them a little bit. Like put your own little mustard on it. No. Um, so yeah, Corrales c- comes out blazing. Um, nails Castillo with just blistering combinations and just driving him back, and then. Um, Castillo roars back. There's more back, like the back and forth savagery of this fight is is just in a category of its own. Um, you know, like it, it's not far off. Like so many of these rounds, like what are the epic rounds of the 20th century? Like when we talk about Bo Holyfield, what is it, the tenth round, the or the ninth round? Like they're great, they're great rounds. They're yeah, bigger guys. Yeah. yeah, like they're bigger guys. I get it. Like there's more you get hit by something, it's a 50 caliber versus, you know, a 22 kind of thing. Like that's a fair fair point. But you know, that these guys are putting together rounds that we would draw from those other ones and just put it into one fight um speaks to to the this ridiculous level that you almost can't be hyper, hyperbolic in describing it. Um Castillo nearly knocks out the mouthpiece of Corrales with a seven-punch combination. And and then he does. It, it goes flying. And it's just a devastating round. And all of the crowd involuntarily are on their feet at the end of it. And those are the kind of moments to me that whether it's boxing or something like that, like we, we are in a culture that needs to tell us when we're supposed to clap. And there's a laugh track on our sitcoms to sort of tell us when we need to do stuff. I love when stuff doesn't need to tell us what to do, but we have no choice. This is one of those moments. The eighth round is one where people are just not even like clap, 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 you know, which comedians hate, right? They want to see you laugh. They don't want to see you go, oh, that was funny, but you're not laughing. This is just people, they have no choice because... It's like watching a relative get in a car accident or something. Like you're just you're just so lost in what's happening here. Live like two lives are on the line and you don't know which. So it's not just that one person might get killed. They both could get killed, kind of thing. It's incredible. So best best round of the fight so far. I gave it narrowly to Castillo, but again, I, I don't even care about scoring. Yeah. And and of course, like I said earlier, with the kind of benefit of hindsight now, knowing how everything ends and how it unfolds, you could you could see, unfortunately, kind of the uh, the start of the whole mouthpiece thing because Castillo lands a shot, and when they're in close, it almost looks like Corrales wants to spit it out, but then pushes it back in, and then he kind of half gets it knocked out and spits it out later on in the round, and. In in all honesty, that should have that right there should have counted as the first like you spit out your mouthpiece. Yeah. I mean, and it happens. It can happen, and it's happened in bigger fights. It it's happened to fighters who are honorable, dishonor. You know, like it's not it's not like discerning in that regard. But you know, if you have been in there and you have had a fitted mouthpiece in your mouth, like they're they're a pain in the ass to take out. 
Like it's it's generally not like you just go, you know, like it's you kind of got to like, like work it loose and shit, especially if you get hit at all, because then your teeth get into it and you're kind of like, you kind of have to like peel it from your fucking teeth and shit. And so, I mean, in any case, I'm not like a fucking pro or anything, but point is, if you have had it in your mouth enough to know a mouthpiece, that is nobody cut that and make it with <laughs> you fucking have had a mouthpiece in your mouth, you know, the fucking you can't really just spit it out. And so that probably should have been the first warning. Like, don't do this shit again or I'm going to take a point. But, yeah. again, in a fight like this, you don't want to, like, take points and fucking, you know, ruin the outcome with a point. So I, I, I kind of feel both I feel both ways. Like, maybe Tony Weeks should have been a little more aggressive with the mouthpiece shit. But I also understand because he doesn't want to get involved because he's not getting involved in the infighting He's kind of just letting him go, which he should have, and which is also what helped make this such a great fight. If that were Jay Nady in there, this fight would have not been good because they would have been a hey, yeah, a bunch of shit, or Joe Cortez, or somebody awful like that. It would have been a terrible fucking fight. So I'm happy that Weeks let it go the way that he did. But that being said, you could see that the seed kind of get planted there, unfortunately. But um, I, I agree. Castillo needed that round because it was kind of tilting against him. And then all of a sudden he shifts the momentum right back his way. But then round nine starts and they're clearly just really tired. The technique's starting to go a little bit. They're both a little slower, but it's, it's like uh bow and Holyfield, the third fight, you know what I mean? Like they're slowed down now. <laughs> they're not as fresh. They're, their technique's not as good, but it's just brutal because they're fucking sloppy and you know, tearing into each and that's exactly kind of what we have here because they're both tired they're standing in there a little bit more the the and it's just like holy shit um i thought the body work from both of them were was really good and then castillo uh lands a quote-unquote low blow that they show later that really didn't look low to me but it was loud and it was hard um combination from castillo Corrales kind of starts taking a step back. He looks like he's Corrales is kind of starting to get worn a little bit. Uh, low blow from Castillo, and he gets a warning again. They showed it later. Didn't really think it was all that low. Castillo uh, seemed to be uh, – uh, oh, I lost my – oh, sorry. He got rocked a little bit, but he was kind of fighting through it. And then right when Corrales uh, started stepping it up here in, ninth, in the ninth round, he walked into a right hand that stunned him. And then Castillo starts laying the wood on him inside. Corrales holding. Nice shot from Corrales, but Castillo just starts grinding the shit out of him. And then right at the bell, Corrales lands a massive shot. And so it's like, you know, a, another round that was just tremendous. And again, they showed the quote-unquote low blows on the slow-mo replay between rounds, and they were both on the belt. So I don't know. I kind of felt like Weeks was getting involved a little too much there, but whatever. Point is, we still got just a man and, and i think right i think you're right too i mean we're talking about having a commentator that adds to experience rather than detracts to it where you want to just mute it other than just listening to the crowd but the refereeing here is phenomenal it's just phenomenal because i mean like think about like more recent most recently say the fury wilder fights the way the referee was getting involved i mean it's it's such a I hate that shit. things in epic fights where you're like they should be allowed to fight on the inside it's part of the sport especially for a smaller guy to not be allowed to do it, which is also a very frequent thing. And you see how selective we talked yeah. about. We, we did the Maidana Mayweather fight when they can fight on the inside thrilling fight. 
when the referee doesn't allow it and and like immediately breaks them it becomes what the second fight was where it's not even close and and it sh- it should be close because that should be a part of what we're allowed to see there's nothing wrong with it especially when they've got their hands free so yeah ninth round chico's gas tank is clearly running down or just the punishment is taking its toll i mean he has taken a shit ton of shots castillo's stamina and grit as legendarily sort of hailed as they were they're even more so on display like i mean they're just surpassing any expectations people had about him being able to pour it on given how much punishment he's taken from corrales up to this point corrales lands a tremendous combo near the end of the round but i thought castillo still did enough to steal the round for the second time i have it five four castillo if you had it two rounds you know for corrales at this point i i wouldn't disagree i i just i just don't know it's one of the hardest fights to score just because it, it creates this kind of emotionality that is really strange i I've not really experienced it. Like normally I have pretty good clarity about who I think wins. And this, you're just sort of like, well, you almost change your scoring criteria round by round. And then just getting us into arguably the the most exciting 126 seconds that boxing has ever offered, which is the 10th round of this fight. And it alchemizes this fight into immortality. 126 seconds. Apart from everything we've seen before, which has been spectacularly good, this 10th round is better than any movie has ever been depicting this sport or any other sport in terms of what it sets up and what it ends up delivering. It's it's a magic trick. It's just a transcendent magic trick in terms of um, after you look back on it, it totally makes sense. When it happens, it's completely inexplicable. It somehow retains those two feelings that should be completely incompatible. So Castillo lands a short hook to the jaw and drops Chico with so much drama because there's this delay to it. It is sort of partitioned out the way he falls. Doom, doom, doom. It's a, it's, it doesn't get more dramatic as a knockdown um, for me. Sprawls out, turns over, and you're going... Yeah, how how is this going to go on? Mouthpiece comes out. He's up at eight. He gets nine extra extra seconds to recuperate when the mouthpiece is put back in. Those nine seconds could have changed everything. Had he not had them, had the mouth guard stayed in, who knows what this would have been. We don't know. Uh, Castillo comes crashing in with hooks that knock Chico over again. This time, egregiously hauling out, frying out the mouth guard. Yeah, spits it into his glove. Like, yeah. Bleh. And he's <laughs> up at nine and a half. I have no problem with the nine and a half. You and I have talked about the Buster Douglas, both the long count. They're the same period of time. So shut the fuck up. I'm a Tyson, you know, maniac. Like, shut the fuck up. It wasn't a long count. It's perfectly reasonable. It's not supposed to be 10 seconds, but this is nine and a half. Again, do you get more dramatic than nine and a half for him to get up with this mouthpiece thing? Which, how the fuck do you have the presence of mind to do that when you've just yeah, that in itself is a skill, you know? It's amazing. Like, I used to watch a lot of the Cuban boxers. One of the things they would do for getting knocked out, I'm not going to belabor this point, 
but as they do this these jumping somersaults back and forth for like 90 seconds standing somersault jump up somersault somersault to to recreate the dizziness and how disoriented you are from being knocked down so that you're ready to defend yourself after 90 seconds of doing it do two of those and jump up and try to prepare to defend yourself and see how it feels they would do it for 90 seconds it's crazy so that's them replicating what this guy deals with corrales in terms of having the presence of mind oh I can get some extra time, and he gets 18 seconds out of it. Gets penalized for the mouthpiece thing, the delay, the rest, the recuperation. But Castillo is ready to fucking seal the deal, close out the show, charges in, and you're like, how could Corrales escape this? Because Castillo has this look like he is delighting in what he's about to do. It's so satisfying. He's had to endure so much to do it. And he gets him against the ropes. Castillo misses and then gets caught. And the whole body shudders. And, you know, Chico Corrales has come back from a 10-7 round to not just KO Castillo, but fucking ragdoll him. Has there ever been, you tell me as a boxing historian, has anybody come back from a 10-7 round to well, that? Oh, God. I mean, there have been instances where, like, people have come back. But, I mean, in that short amount of time, I don't know. Not really. Not that I know of. I mean, it's so crazy, dude. And like I said earlier, Castillo fainted to the body, which he had just been hammering all night. He fainted to the body. And I mean, that's not, that's not like super complicated. That's like a trick that, you know, you learn in the gym. It's not, it's not, you're not pro level, you know, you're not running around every day, fucking bike courier fainting to the body, but no, it's, it's not unheard of, but he did it at like the perfect moment. They come out, kind of just like right is about to get into it he faints to the body boom hook upstairs chico's like i really wasn't really wasn't fucking expecting that shit and just like you said just kind of almost sinks to the canvas like fuck this is too much and you know you can kind of see it from two angles like the one is just like you said it's man it's so dramatic and violent and tremendous and ridiculous and fantastic and storybook and it's like you watch a movie and any movie like you could see like the usual suspects you said that earlier you watch it again you already know the ending and it's like it's still great but it doesn't get you like it the first time but fights are a little different because they can still kind of pull you in you know they can still that action it's it's a little different it might not get you the exact same as the first time but it'll still get you and like you know it, it was incredible but then the other side of it, which I also understand, and I try to push away, is the controversy of it and the feeling that Castillo had this shit taken from him. Like, this was his win. He yep. he worked for this win the entire fight. And, you know, he turned it around several times when he was hurt and he was rocked. And he worked all of that that turnaround that Diego Corrales did in that short a time, Corrales did the whole fight. He did that turnaround the whole fight. But because Corrales had the presence of mind, 
or whatever to do that with his mouthpiece, the small things add up at that level. You know, you can, that's, I think, a really easy way to put it is, and I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's right. And I'm, and I'm not going to argue with anybody who's mad at the outcome because to me, the fight's not ruined because of that, but it, it, there is an asterisk. There is kind of like, but it's still so enjoyable that like, I really got to fight that part of me off, you know? And I would just say that if, if Corrales was our son and we were working his corner and he did that, we'd be even more proud of him for doing it. Without question. If if Castillo was our son and we were in his corner, we would want to murder their corner. Oh yeah. I I would This is this is what's so magical about it is I'm so torn because Castillo has done everything to win my allegiance to go, you earned this, and it was taken from you by an illegal action. And on the other hand, I go, Corrales having the balls and the intelligence and the composure. You did that shit on national TV. Yeah, you were just kind (laughs) of like, I could use whatever time this is going to get me, and I'm going to fucking come back and knock this motherfucker out. And he does it. Well, who? Well, you're inspired by that because you know he's got a weak chin, right? And he's lost in those other times late in fight. Well, no, he never has. He's never been knocked down, but but I'm going to fucking do it. And I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it after what you just saw me take in this 10-7 round. It, it, you know, what do you, what do you, what are you supposed to fucking say about it? It's just like, I mean, what are we saying about it? Just go watch it. Go watch the 10th round. But if you just watch the 10th round, it's, it, it needs the context. It needs the buildup. You know, like you, you have to, understand why Achilles and Hector is meaningful to these two, you know, different cultures that they represent to have the battle have its significance in the same way that you don't need to care about the backstories of these two characters, about why they're colliding. It's the context of the fight that counts. That's what makes this one different and so extraordinarily special is these nine rounds leading up to it to have this be the way it's resolved. It, it 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 itself is like a fucking Gordian knot of like nine different narratives in one round of what it is. We even forgot the special fucking Joe Goose and Elixir that you better fucking get inside on him now. You gotta yeah. fucking get inside on him now. <laughs> you know, like that dude. moment too is so spectacular. I mean, it's it's again, if he was an actor, you'd give him an Oscar for like it's like not even a believable line. Like if no. somebody put that in a movie, you'd be like, shut up. That's so trite and stupid. But then it's, it's like, amazing. that's real life. It's real life. And it's a guy who's just been fucking floored and, and is potentially one punch away from never remembering who he's he was. so matter of fact about it. Cause it's, it's so like, you could see the look on his face is that you either knock him out or you're getting knocked out right here. So good luck. And the tone, as you say, there's the tone of the way he says, it's just like this guy in this ridiculous dress shirt jumps up on the fucking camera. <laughs> yeah, Jeff you Spicoli know? fucking in your face going, yeah. look, you gotta fucking get this guy. Like, what the fuck, yeah. bro? I need sage advice right now. It's like, oh, that is the sage advice. Oh, okay. Yeah, Goosen's composure to deliver that line and the tone of it is like, it's another thing. Because you're right, it's another ingredient. It's it's just like a cocktail that just needs, 
like what's the little fruit that's going to be on the glass to make it perfect or like the little umbrella on it and it's that humor because you know you can imagine whoever you were invested in in this fight to then have that come in where you just are howling you're you're in such the wrong emotional place for the way that this ends because of that little yeah. moment so, yeah you're absolutely right to bring it up but i like, yeah, I forgot. I was like, nah, we can't, we can't not mention it. I got to mention it. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. It's just phenomenal. Like, I mean, well, I, I do think it's the best fight I've ever seen. Since we touched on it, and we don't have to get into it, but, uh, but I do just as kind of a devil's advocate portion of the this discussion as far as the ethics or more morality or whatever you want to call it, as far as you know, spitting out the mouthpiece and that kind of stuff, what that means, you know. Uh, first of all, that became an issue later on with Corrales too. He spit out his mouthpiece in like, I think two fights after that. <laughs> Not kidding. So uh, why? I don't know. Maybe he had some issue with the previous injury with, I don't know. But that really was strange how that unfolded. But also um, it was blatant. It's like we saw it on camera. It's not speculative. It's not like nobody knows it. So my question is, you know, I know this is kind of a, a strange tangent or, you know, whatever, but it does kind of make me wonder in terms of the ethics of it, what makes it okay overall that Diego Corrales did that and won the fight and it's the greatest fight of all time, but then people speculate, and I'm probably going to get some hatred for this, about Antonio Margarito uh, using tainted wraps or whatever, for instance, in the first Kodo fight, which there is absolutely zero evidence for, apart from like some photos that people are like, look, there's red on his fucking hand wraps. It's after yeah, a fight, dude. Your, what are you talking about? But, but well, that that was the Shane Mosley fight, right? But okay. people have extended that situation backward to his career to like now he did it in every one of his fights, including yeah. the first Kodo fight, which is like there's zero evidence for. So my point being. What what then would make it okay for one fighter to bend the rules to get a win? And I know, like, it's the, the issue of damage or whatever, but it's, you know, it does kind of make that a, a wonky conversation in terms of ethics for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a legitimate thing to raise. I mean, I mean, Pacquiao was accused of that, too. I, I, I forget who accused him of it, but saying that his punches, I think it was Keith Thurman, said his punches felt like there was rocks. Like, like it felt like a brick, and, and then he's like, oh, he's People wearing accused Mexican. Felix Trinidad because yeah. of the stacking because for the Hopkins fight, which is just an issue of how the wraps are wrapped. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could argue in terms of severity, if, if Margarito loads his gloves, it's a whole fight. Yeah, I don't mean to equate it. I'm no, just no, saying, I'm not saying that ethically, I'm not saying, yeah. you know, you're saying cheating sure. is cheating, and, and yeah, okay, like there's varying degrees of it. As I say, like I... I struggle with, I mean, I, uh, I read the other day, Andre Ward's book and I was curious because like I profiled him, I spent some time with him and I, he asked me if I would consider writing that book. And I was just curious, like, where, where did it land? Well, for the first thing, where, where was it in Barnes and Noble? What section was it in? Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Better. I'm just I'm, religious. Well, in a way, it, it, religious. I, Yeah. In the religious session, not memoir. Well, not... that's fiction. Sorry, sorry, Pete. Yeah, I mean, that, I was kind of leaving that unsaid, but yeah, that was that was sort of my <laughs> intimation there. I'll take the hit. But, I'll take the hit. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 So, 
I was curious how he would deal exactly what you're talking about with the second Kovalev fight. Every photograph that came out about where that shots were coming, you know, uppercutting the balls. And his response to it is no longer to deny that it looked low, because how do you disagree with the photographic evidence of that? Is he said, what happened to lead up to that? That's what's important. Are you telling me that that is bullshit sort of thing was his argument? I don't even understand how that's an argument. It's still a low blow that is egregious that is contributing to the end that, of that fight. That's 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 basically copping out. That's saying because it happened, it's okay that it happened. That because it happened, whatever led up to it made it happen, and that's that. Peace. Right. You know, and, right. That's, right. that's absolving yourself of response. That's going into confession and saying, hey, priest, I killed somebody. And the priest going, okay, you're good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, I guess that's kind of a fucking, there you go. There's religion in a nutshell, baby. Yeah, I was accused of killing 10 people, but really I only killed four. You know, so mainly I'm innocent. Mainly, like, go so, in peace, my son. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the real problem here is that accusation of the six I didn't versus the four. So so I was just thinking about that in terms of, you know, Kovalev in the first fight. I thought he lost that fight. I think probably the majority of boxing experts thought that Ward lost the first fight. Super close. Yeah. But I think like a slim majority, if not a little more, thought he lost. And then the second fight, again, full credit, Tim, like we're saying with Mayweather going back against Castillo. Goes in there against the, the crusher and everything. And, and does much better, but has this sort of contentious ending that looked quite dirty. And and I thought I thought his defense of that at the end was to say all these haters are taking it away from me again. And it's like no, it was a low blow. It was a foul. Just admit that it was a foul. You won. And because you have some humility, I think you'll get all the credit for everything you did to win it. It's that you've never been humble, despite taking the name on your fucking trunks of Mr. Humility for all yeah. time, that we just go, you're the opposite of humble. You're incredibly arrogant. And you take all credit that is ever given to you by cri critics in hi history, but the moment it's uncomfortable and you don't like what they say, you dismiss it and say they've yeah. always hated you and it's just about hating and that sort of thing. There's never... Um, objective criticism that you've ever accepted about anything. Look at me. I'm so humble. Look, yeah. can you see how humble I am? Like, it's I can't disgusting. believe how humble I am, you guys. It's, it's disgusting. Like... And, and incidentally, it was the most boring book I think I've ever read in my life. Like, I skimmed read it for, for an hour and a half, and I was... I, I Like, I think it has, like, six reviews on Amazon three months later. <laughs> like, it... it and I think he believed, I mean, a bit like Teddy Atlas with his memoir, that this was going to become like one of the great memoirs ever written in terms of impact and sales and all that kind of thing. But I just I just raise it because it's another example of like a contentious foul that takes over, becomes the straw that stirs the drink of, of what is the capstone in his career. And I think if he just acknowledged like, I went low, I went low a couple times, you can see it, the tape's there photographs are there but on the whole i won i got lucky on this side it happens i i it wasn't maybe intentional but to say like i'm ripping him and all of that and then oh i that argument's not going over so well because it's it's just we have a photograph of it yeah we saw we a video are, dude yeah we watched we're, it. 
punching up towards the testicles is a foul. And and that's not and I think that he at least has some smidgen of a point. Kovalev was kind of like scrunched up. He's against the ropes. Yeah. Shots, you know, you're in mid combination. Shit gets wild. It happens. It's okay. It happens. And that's but that's what he the angle he should have taken, not the like Oh, if you're criticizing me, then you just must be one of these critics that's been on my ass the entire time. And no, dude, sometimes, you know, and it's like to bring it back to where you're talking about movies. And sometimes, like, especially nowadays, if a movie gets savaged by critics, sometimes a director will come back and say, like, see, they don't understand. The critics hate me, the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, sometimes the movie's not good. And yeah. that's okay. Like, and you might say, yeah, it wasn't my finest hour. It's not my best work. I thought it was going to resonate and it didn't. Same thing. You just having, you know, taking a step back and being able to say, you know, maybe I fucked up a little bit can earn you a lot of goodwill. Yeah. And I mean, we're just I, I think it's a it's a reasonable point to raise in terms of this mouth guard thing. What kind of advantage did it give him? Potentially profound advantage. Did it turn? Did it decide the fight? Possibly. Do steroids decide the fight for guys who've been caught with PEDs? Should Tommy Morrison, like, I mean, should we heavily... And this is where it starts career? getting real cloudy again, you know? Yeah. But right? And it's like, well, if it does there, then I guess we have to go Evander Holyfield, all the suspicion there, and Pacquiao, and then Mayweather, too. A lot of suspicion there. Uh, well, if it's like, you know, sprint 100-meter dash and 1988, and how many of those guys got pinched later on for juicing... If you did it once, probably there was a pattern of behavior because why else would you but do it? But then all of a sudden people are running it like five seconds quicker now, but still not getting caught. And you're like, hmm, what's and, going and on this, here? And this <laughs> is why like Flojo, women have 10% of the testosterone of men. So it's way harder for them to cheat without it being glaringly obvious with, with testing. Has anybody come remotely close to Flojo? While all the other records are getting smashed over and over and over again, the female record for the 100-meter dash, nobody's getting close. Why? Because of the chemical barrier. That's it. Like, it's just like, it's like Occam's razor. It's just, it's really clear. It's not that she was so much better. Yeah, th there's a ceiling. A there's human a ceiling. being has a ceiling. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we can obviously move the ceiling, but there's still a ceiling, you know, and... Fucking Barry Bonds, 49 home runs, or whatever it was, that great season he had while McGuire and Sosa did their thing. You juice, you get 72, and that's him at like 40. So apply, move that over into boxing in terms of what EPO could do. I mean, Lance Armstrong told me, I asked him, you never cheated. Where are you in the Tour de France? He said, I probably wouldn't qualify for the Tour de France if I wasn't use it, using this stuff. Like, it's, it's that kind of difference. Yeah. Just move that into the realm of boxing where you are hitting people and you have more stamina to hit them, and you can hit harder, and you can recover better and everything. So, I mean, is a mouth guard important in the context of this fight? Absolutely. But, I mean, it's you're right. It's a massive can of worms in terms of, uh, you know, like how the A-side can take advantage of all kinds of things <laughs> with, with in terms of the, the ring size and using that to their advantage if they want a, a smaller ring or a bigger ring. Like, it, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's... I don't mean to make it a complicated discussion, but at the same time, I think that I've tried to make it clear, you know, just about any episode that you and I do or any discussion you and I have where it's like, you know, there, there's a difficult thing to talk about. We're not going to run from it. Like, we're not going to go, yeah, no, we don't want to talk about that. But, you know, some of these things are tough. They, like I say, uh, often they cause cognitive dissonance. 
and they're not things where it's an easy solution or you just have a sentence and boom, you're done. No, you know, it's, it's an ongoing discussion and I don't have answers as far as the ethics of any of this or the spitting out of the mouthpiece. And on top of that, moving forward too, there's the extra element of, uh, in, in Jose Luis Castillo versus Diego Corrales two the rematch. So, I mean, they beat the absolute shit out of each other. They needed a break, obviously, uh, and they both took a break. And so they had scheduled the rematch for Las Vegas uh, later on the year in October, which is even then, that's only a five-month break for that punishment. Dude, that's insane. That said, the only reason why this really even matters to me is because I was there for the rematch, and it was a big thing. A lot of people, like I don't mention a lot because there's no point in mentioning a lot, but a lot of people don't know. I've hung around in boxing since the early 2000s. And so I used to be like an administrator of maxboxing.com. I knew a lot of those guys, and that's why where I know a lot of those guys from. And then they had forums like message boards or whatever that were pretty active at the time. And a number of people from the forums, from the message boards, showed up in Vegas. So there was a bunch of us just getting fucking ham dogged, getting lit in Vegas. You know, there's like pictures of me like sprawled out on couches looking fucking half alive and shit. Cause I was half alive. And the point is, it was a great time, but we got there and first of all, we got there drunk to Vegas. So it never, it didn't really start. It was just already on by the time we got there. But the second we got there, everybody was telling us, oh shit, dude, there's this fucking drama at the weigh-in because the weigh-in had just happened when we got there. And they're like, there's a bunch of drama at the weigh-in. They're not sure if the fight's going to go through. And we're like, what? We, we just fucking drove there. What the fuck? And so we're tripping and going like, what do you mean the fight's not going to happen? And, you know, there's like rumors going around. It wasn't the same thing as now because Twitter wasn't a thing. You had to go to the websites to catch or message boards to catch any updates. And you'd have to have like a laptop with you or something like that because it was 2005. People didn't have all the cell phones with the fucking, you know, this sounds like a long time ago. If you had that shit, you had like a sidekick, a fucking T-Mobile sidekick. That shit was like this big fucking PSP and shit. And that was it. Like, if you were lucky, and even then, you probably weren't looking up boxing results. That said, rumors were going around. Nobody really knew. And then we found out later on that what had happened was at the fucking weigh-in, Jose Luis Castillo's personal assistant, or I'm sorry, personal physician, personal doctor, they're having the weigh-in. They're supposed to fight at Thomas and Mac. They're about to do the weigh-in. And I guess Castillo's looking like hell. He's done everything he can to lose all the weight that he can or whatever. Corrales uh, steps on the scale, gets to 135. <laughs> According to the reports, Castillo goes to the scale and his physician is like so close behind him that he's like at his back, goes to the scale and his physician tries to angle his foot underneath the pad to alter the weight. And they caught him. And we're like, what the fuck are you doing? And like kicked him out. He can't be anywhere near the fight. He got barred. He's he can't even participate in shit in Nevada anymore. He got fucking why did stupid ass fucking thumbs up. Anyway, uh, I don't know why it does that. Anyway, uh, he got he can't fucking do anything in Nevada. And then next thing you know, it's a big scandal. And they've given Corrales the option to not fight. Because they're like, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go through with it? He decides, no, I'm going to go through with it. And they're just going to tax the shit out of Castillo's purse. And that's what they did. Because Castillo wound up re-weighing in or whatever and coming in at 138 and a half. 
So obviously they knew that he wasn't going to make weight because they, they know they have scales in the room and everything. They're checking it. So they knew he wasn't going to make weight. His physician tried to pull some shit, which is pretty dirty and pretty fucking stupid. But Corrales, to his credit, decided to go through with the fight. And then, you know, they fought the next day. Again, I was lit. Everybody was lit. Everybody was fucking, you know, but the fight was well attended much better attended than the first fight because the first fight was such a ridiculous action-packed war. Um, and the second fight, actually, I thought was pretty good, too. Uh, it's just that you can tell the the extra weight is helping Castillo, for sure. One thing that we didn't mention, uh, you talked earlier about Castillo's punching power. These in-between fights that he's taking, almost none of them are at lightweight, and he's still knocking dudes out. A lot of them are at welterweight and he's still scoring these knockouts. He's a puncher, so he might not be thought of as a puncher, but he's a puncher, and uh, that's really kind of what wound up happening is over four rounds, he just kind of beat. Corrales put up a fight, but over four rounds, he just kind of beat him up and then landed one of the loudest knockouts I've ever heard in person. Like, it was in the Thomas and Mac, and it was just like, pow, fucking gunshot, and everyone was like, whoa, and he went down fairly dramatically too. Uh, Corrales, that is, and man, that's kind of what I'm talking about with the ethics and then the karma and all that type of shit. Because it's kind of like it came right back around. Like I don't like how it happened, and I think that it's shitty that Castillo basically tried to cheat. But like, how do you weigh this all out? Is it balanced? Yeah, it it is interesting that way because I thought about that too. That. The part of me that admired everything that Corrales did, all the willpower to hang in there throughout the fight, all the punishment he took, and then that 10th round in particular, you go, boy, the perseverance, presence of mind, ingenuity to do it twice. Like, I mean, as you say, like he he was somebody that was not unfamiliar with being knocked down because of how reckless his style was. It's not like he had a bad chin. He had a great chin, but still. That style was willing to go down because he just knew I have the balls to get up whenever it happens. And I'm okay with that. And he desperately wanted to go out on his shield if ever he was taking punishment. He never wanted a fight stop. Like, that was his attitude. Um, but go going into this one, I, I mean, three and a half pounds over for Castillo. But, I mean, way jumped up in weight. And as we're talking about the ethics and morality of this kind of stuff, I mean... Gaddy and Joey Gamash, Joey Gamash was permanently brain damaged as a result of a very similar scenario to what you're describing with the scale, where Gaddy like stepped on the scale and jumped oh, yeah. and immediately hydrated so he couldn't go back on the scale to know whatever it is he weighed, but clearly had not made weight. Who was the dude who owned Jimmy Jimmy Glenn? Jimmy Glenn, the dude who yeah. owned the bar. He was yeah. in Joey Gamash's corner and threw an absolute fucking fit. There's even photos of it. Like, he's behind Gotti. He's, like, about to kick Gotti's ass because he's just like, what the fuck? Get him back on the scale because Gotti just goes, whoop, and then steps right off. That's it. It's like, whoa, really, that, you guys? Yeah, and if, like, I I think I did the last profile of Jimmy Glenn before he died. Like, that was the first time I'd ever met him. That guy was the coolest fucking person I've ever met um, yep. in, in boxing the nicest dude yeah down and i mean his son was just as nice i think he was charging i've never had a beer in my life but they were like three dollar beers or something for people so like he went out of his way to make it an affordable fun place for people to be and it was magical to go to that place like i mean the moment he would walk out of your presence you missed him and i didn't even know him 
he had that kind of energy. Everybody felt that way about him. Um, so the idea that you're saying that, I didn't know that, that, yeah. that Glenn, like lost his shit. That yeah, of... he's pissed, like yelling at Gotti and the and his team and the commissioners, because there's like a photo sequence of it, too, actually, that like if you look at them in sequence, it's perfect because Gotti just steps up is and goes like this on the scale. And it's like it has to be like half a second because you could see Jimmy Glenn like sailing in from the background and screaming and pointing at the scale like in the brief video they do have of it he just goes boop boop and steps up like you can't that no, scales can't. don't work that way you know no, and, I, and i think he showed up was it 21 or 23 pounds above yeah dude and it looks even visually it oh. looks like not no and 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 that the way well and then it... and then oscar de la hoya did it to Gotti. <laughs> yeah. so that's right, that's right. But in particular with the Gotti Gamash one, like Gamash was permanently brain damaged as a result of the. He says he still panic. has headaches to this day. Oh, I mean it's 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 a dis grotesque knockout. I mean it's three knockouts in one before he goes down and and unfortunately like Joey gavel. got knocked out like that a couple other times too. So that yeah. was not helpful. Not to take anything away from it, but no, no, no. But just so as much as we love Gaddy, and that he seems to represent everything that we love in a boxer like that was disgusting that was disgustingly immoral potentially he should have never been allowed to fight again for what could have happened what did happen and indeed what could have happened to joey gamage and for what like like what so that he didn't have to pay a fine and, and that he's getting away from legitimately paying a fine for his own immoral unprofessional behavior like it's a serious thing it almost never gets brought up about Gaddy as part of his legacy. And again, I love Arturo Gaddy, but it it's a massive stain on his legacy. It's not an asterisk. It's it's like it should be a defining moment in his career for for what it did to somebody with a family who's now a trainer and and a very liked person. I've never really heard anybody say shitty things about Joey Gamash, but so yeah, so it's weird in the second fight because I mean, there's still these guys. Corrales is 28, Castillo is 31. I, there's it's there's a hefty fine I know that that was um, imposed but I don't know how much I don't know what both these guys made for their purses I couldn't track that down um, and I mean we don't have to do round round for round in this even though I I did but I mean I think I had Castillo winning every round in terms yeah. of yeah um, because there was just no way. Um, Corrales just couldn't deal with the power. Fought very admirably, but couldn't push well, him he back. Did. He did. You know, he couldn't couldn't push him back, and it's clear there was even more power than there was the first time. And just out of the gates, you had Castillo just rushing in, and Corrales had almost no defense. I think he probably landed seventy five percent of the left hooks he threw, flush. I mean, it, it was not like it was one or two that broke through and and what ultimately did the damage. I mean, he was getting he was just hitting him all day. And uh, Corrales really had no answer. I mean, he tried to do what he did before, but most of the fight was sort of like, you know, in antiquity naval battles where it's like the one ship pulls up to the other ship and whatever goes down. Like there, there wasn't much technique to, to it at all. It was just my balls are bigger than your balls and who will be the last man standing. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And um, the the flush shots that are there, and and then just um, yeah, that ending, 
in terms of, as you say, this karmic feeling um, is a weird one because part of me just thinks like I like that they both got fucked. As, as you know, because in the way that Castillo got fucked by that first fight, the part yeah, of me that like it's, it kind of feels him, square, you know, kind of feels square. So I don't know if it is, but there is a feeling that the two of the two fights are kind of necessary to have because if if by the end of the first one you're completely firmly in the corner of Castillo saying the injustice of this demands something serious because of this unfair advantage that was gained with like whatever it is 30 total seconds in the 10th round to recover that he didn't deserve to have then you look at this other one and you go wow three and a half pounds of of added weight plus whatever they weighed in at the time because he's he way paid the fine to kick his ass basically paid the fine to kick his ass but corrales going into the third fight yeah, Castillo before. fucked the karma up, dude. <laughs> it was square. <laughs> yeah, he pushed it even more, and by that time, Corrales just said, "I have a wife and kids. I'm not. I'm yeah. not gonna. You did this once before. If you if you don't have enough respect for me or the sport to show up with weight, I, I'm not doing that again. I'm not just gonna hand you that kind of advantage. So yeah, that's yeah. where it ends. But I mean, it, you know. So I guess like to end this, where. Had Castillo shown up making weight, and it's a fair fight, how do you see the third flight fight going? Man, I mean, uh, assuming the outcome were the same, um, I mean, that's a good question. Because, I mean, like, if you, especially when you look going forward at Jose Luis Castillo's career, he never makes 135 pounds after that. You know, like, he's, he's not a lightweight again after that. He's had a long career. He's in his early 30s, had a lot of fights. Um, so, I mean, I think that that was part of it was just that he, he, he couldn't make 135 anymore, but had he, um, and had that outcome been what it, what it was, we also saw that Diego Corrales didn't win a fight after that. So I think that he had also been potentially irreparably damaged by that fight. Um, and then there's also the extra element of that conversation surrounding his death and how much, you know, we didn't really know enough or what to look for, for CTE at that point. And how much of his thrill-seeking and, you know, uh, risk-taking on his motorcycle caused that? I'm, I'm simply asking. I'm not trying to insult anybody. But um, I think that that's a legitimate question. And I think that's a fair question and, and an ethical question to ask. Um, so that's a really good question as far as what you're asking, though. I don't know. I think that Castillo kind of had the momentum after that knockout. Um, but the problem was that, you know, they scheduled the fight for the following June in 2006. Castillo missed weight by five pounds this time. And like you said, Corrales opted that, nah, we ain't doing that again. You know, like, and, and to my knowledge, if I'm not mistaken, Castillo's team tried to say, hey, you know, we'll pay the fine again. We'll make the fight. And Corrales was like, no, not this time. Because he had the option in his contract. To, I remember this. He had the option in his contract to nix it and he nixed it. So good for him. And it seems like, you know, as far as the saga, as far as their saga, it's done. But, you know, what really complicates this, at least from Corrales' point of view, is that he goes on, he misses weight for the third Casamayor fight and loses his title at this, uh, or can't, uh, can't fight for the title because he misses weight by four pounds against Casamayor in the third fight and then goes up to 149 against Josh Claudie 
probably thinking he could get a win, and Josh Claudie's a nightmare of a fucking fighter, and he just gets beaten up. Like it's it that was a sad, sad ending, kind of like Gotti against uh Gomez. But you know, it was just a guy at the end of his career who's gotten beaten up a little too much. And that was it. And several months later, unfortunately, Diego Corrales was dead. Jose Luis Castillo kept fighting for a few more years, but was needless to say, not even close to being the same kind of fighter. And I mean, that's you know, Corrales had the far more compelling end. I mean, I don't say that as a joke, but like Castillo just faded out. No, and and as we say, like if we look at this alternate history that could have happened very, very easily, Castillo is the guy who most likely, you know, beat Mayweather. Does Mayweather become almost a billionaire had he had that one loss on his career? And where's Castillo? if he has wins over Diego Corrales and Floyd Mayweather. You know, does he become some version of Canelo? No, you know, or sure. Yeah, then. probably not. But, uh, but does but he become tr- more than what he became? Absolutely. Probably. Yeah. No, no question. And in terms of just derailing the biggest jugger- economic juggernaut that boxing ever had, I don't think Mayweather gets ever anywhere close without the zero because the zero is the that one thing. part of the, yeah. Over mm-hmm. everybody that he's comparing himself to. Did mm-hmm. Ali lose? Yeah. Did, you know, all these other guys. Even now, he got yeah. losses. He has losses. And it's like, ugh. But, but, if it's, but he helped create that narrative. He did. And, I mean, with, with Castillo, was Castillo a Hall of Fame fighter? No. You know, was he close? Has he been on the ballot for the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. I and don't he, know if he's been on the ballot, but I do think he's close. He's close. He's close. But, I mean, has he been on, even on the ballot? And it's like I think he has been, but I'm not positive. But like, yeah. And he beat Floyd Mayweather when Mayweather was a shit kicker. So it's you know, it's just it's just interesting to think if just if judges had gone Harold Letterman's way and the way way I think most experts would look at it, the trajectory of Mayweather's career and the complexion of his claim to how good he is historically radically changes because of the way that he has defined it. And I'm not arguing the merits of whether that's the right way or the wrong way. I'm just saying if the zero is everything that puts him past all of these other people that sort of most fans or critics sort yeah. of love him, you're just sort of like, wow, the way things could have gone. had The that what way. ifs are pretty heavy for these guys. Yeah, there, there are. And so it's, it's interesting that Castillo misses out on that one. You know, it's it's always the asterisk in Floyd's career, but what should it have meant to Castillo's career? Yeah. More than just I'm the asterisk on the perfect record of the self-appointed TBE. But, like, I beat him. I legitimately beat him. And, you know, we had a rematch where, like, yeah, okay, he, he beat me by a few a few points, but, like, you're saying you're the best ever, and this is the separation between me and you? And I'm not really close to the Hall of Fame. What does that say about you? Or what does it say about the Hall of Fame? Or that. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> true. So so then instead what we're left with with Castillo is that he has this epic, epic, epic thing with, with Corrales where this is the cliche go-to for a shitty fight to say, well, what, you know, it wasn't Corrales, Castillo. <laughs> That's kind of what its legacy is now for for a lot of people. A lazy knee jerk reaction 
as the epitome of the ultimate action fight that boxing has ever provided us on film. And I think that you probably already gave your answer as to whether or not you think it's the greatest fight of all time. And I mean, you know, you don't have to be definitive. I know we all haven't seen every single fight. I'm not saying that, but, you know, like we're saying in terms of workable knowledge, in terms of things most people have seen type of stuff. Now, it's got to be up there. If not the, it's got to be up there. Yeah, I mean, I with the caveat, which I think is a really important one, is you're just going to pay attention differently if if we were out there watching Troy <laughs> and and Achilles is sur- Achilles is surging. Not the movie, not the movie. Not the movie. No, fuck, <laughs> fuck the movie. But in terms of where is your attention going to go in terms of who you're watching and what baggage you're bringing to it? It's totally different than if two relatively anonymous guys just had this epic battle for 30 minutes and you go, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. But you, you're like, but I'm so invested in Achilles doing something incredible here so Homer can deliver to all time the, you know, the great thing. So that's kind of my issue with it. Is it, is it the greatest fight that I've ever seen? No, no, no question. But what's missing is I'm not emotionally invested in either character. And so it, it's different. Yeah, it doesn't make for the same kind of story. It doesn't make for the same kind of story. And, and your emotional investment in these characters, how much you've invested in them, you know, for me to know what Mike Tyson was in real time as a six-year-old when Punch-Out! came out, that this guy is 21. It's like how I felt with Michael Jackson, where it's like he puts out Thriller when I'm three years old. I go to see him perform, and I'm like, he's only 24. I, I like My dad is always bragging about the Beatles or this or that, but it's like this guy has already beat all of those records and he's 24. He could keep doing this for 10 years or 15 years. I thought it was the beginning of something rather than the end of something. And, you know, like same with Mike Tyson. I thought watching Michael Sphinx, he made $21 million. And Michael, where does he go from here? Where does he go from here? Well, Michael Jordan's making $2 million a year being Michael Jordan. Mike Tyson makes 10 times as much for one night and he's 21 years old. He's how could he not be 10 times better than Muhammad Ali? But I wasn't watching the beginning of the trajectory. I was watching the end, which makes you now appreciate Ali and all of these people with longevity and legacy that much more. But it doesn't take away from that feeling of in the moment, what it, what it represents and in the same way, watching Mike Tyson get what happened to him at the end of his career meant way more to me because I'd seen what it was at the beginning, which a new generation can never appreciate in the same way. Just as really? I can't appreciate, you know, what what the Beatles are going from I want to hold your hand to Sgt. Pepper in like three years, nobody should be able to make that kind of creative jump. But to have lived it in real time as these albums are coming out, is something I can never appreciate, but instead I get the benefit of I have it in totality. I know the beginning and the ending before I've even listened to anything, which we get with boxers, right? We have our generation of fighters we come up with, and the rest are just rumors and hit, you know, who knows how good they were. But I mean, Mayweather's tried to benefit from that by saying he's the best ever. He wasn't even the pound for pound best in his prime. You know, that was that was Jones, but now a new generation has forgotten about how good he was the way we saw him sort of thing. So so with this fight, long-winded way just to say, no question it's the best fight I've ever seen. It's just that I don't feel emotionally invested in either of these characters. So it's just 
it, it's just the impact of what the fight offers that inspires that. But if I loved these guys, if it wasn't Arturo Gatti or, or an Ali or any of these people that we have emotional baggage with or investment, it becomes something very different that skews our sense of it and our perception of it. With this, I think we're pretty clean. Unless you're somebody who, no problem, if you love Castillo or you love Corrales, but I'm not one of those people. I just love what they produced here. I was rooting for Corral or Castillo in the moment. I'm a like, I mean, I'm not gonna like lie, you know, like I'm I often like a lot of Mexican fighters, not necessarily the style per se, but I mean perhaps it's where I grew up. I don't really know. Point is that's my preference a lot of the time, and I was rooting for Castillo. But even then, as it happened, I remembered like I was like stunned. Like I it had to set in for a while for me to like be like, wait, he got kind of fucked a little bit, you know, like it took a while because I was like, that was so intense. Like I've, you know, similar to kind of Ward Gotti one, but different because I was just like, holy shit. I can't believe I just saw that. And it was almost like I had to kind of hear it from other people first and be like, yeah, you know, they're kind of right. He did kind of get screwed a little bit. Um, but even so, just the quality of the fight, dude, it's got to be the top handful of fights I've ever seen. Greatest. I don't know if I, it's kind of like saying like, who's your favorite band or what's the greatest album you've heard? I don't know. You know, like there is, I'll, I'd rather name like a top five or something than one, but it's up there. It's among them, you know, Chacon Limon four, uh, you know, uh, Samchak, Sith Chachawal versus Mayar Monchipur, like a ridiculous fight, same type of fight in terms of just sustained, violent, brutal action. But you know, then again, like you, you don't even know how to say those fucking names. Like nobody knows their fucking names. They might know kind of maybe which fight I'm talking about, but everybody knows Corrales Castillo won, and it's ubiquitous for that reason. But kind of like how you were saying, you ask people what's the greatest fight, they're gonna say Hagler Hearns. Be not, and it was not even three rounds, not even three full rounds, and that's nothing against it. I love the fight, but it's because they know the guys. There's the emotional investment. They were big stars the buildup, the time for boxing, yeah. et cetera. So it, it's different. And so, but like you said, standing on its own, really tough to beat Corrales Castillo. Well, I just, and I just think like Arturo Gatti is boxing's James Dean. He's something like this guy that just, you can't, the people who are invested in him are so biased and skewed because of whatever the fuck it was about this guy that, created these feelings that he elicited like i mean nobody i mean as they talk about in that documentary um nobody asked who, who is he fighting next it's when is he fighting next because it doesn't make any difference and that's think of how many people where that's true of in the sport it's not true of muhammad ali you'd still say who is he fighting next is he gonna fight frazier again or is he gonna fight foreman or or norton because if he's fighting a nobody like that's that's not really exciting. Arturo Gatti still was exciting. It didn't make any difference. And and so that's why he's in his own way like he's going to he's not a spice, he's a soup. Hmm. Arturo Gatti, whoever he's fighting, it's Arturo Gatti soup and that's what we love. That's what we <laughs> go to get. Um yeah. that is not true of very I mean it was sort of true of Mike Tyson, but even Tyson I think is skewed our perception of it now because we think like 
he could beat Michael Spinks in 90 seconds, and those fans must have been thrilled. They weren't. They were uh, people still skew that, too. They're like, he was flattening everybody. And it's like, not really. He was flattening bums. But he, he wasn't just flattening everybody. Like, he was oh, getting no, TKOs no. over some good fighters. But let's let's slow it down a bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people no, misremember. And, they, I mean, they did the same thing with Joe Lewis. He's just a bum a month club. Or Rocky Marciano was, like, a 10 to 1 underdog when he fought Joe Lewis. Like, so, like, like, really? Do you see what Joe Lewis looked like when he got into the ring against Rocky Marciano? So perception, even with so-called experts, it, we don't look great a lot of the time. Yeah, when you go true. back to the actual time, you know, Teddy Atlas predicted Mike Tyson would lose to Evander Holyfield. Yeah, he predicted Michael Spinks would beat him too. And you don't hear that as often. Yeah. <laughs> could be him, could be him, could be him. Yeah, so... You know, who knows? But um, so with these two guys, I don't think you have A-list recognition, A-list charisma like you do with a Gaddy or an Ali or any number of other people in the discussion of the greatest fights. I mean, as you're saying, you know, Hagler Hearns is a mesmerizing fight. It's spectacular. But the feeling I get watching Duran Leonard because I hate Leonard so much and I love Duran so much, I am like I would – way rather watch that than this fight even though i fully feel that this fight is is objectively way better but it's just that the two characters involved are everything to me it's 90 percent of what it yeah, is for me for sure so and I, I don't know if i'm that different than most people in that way but in just quality you know it's sort of like going to a meal how much of the meal is the food you're eating versus the ambiance and the presentation and the service well it's all part of it but if the meal itself sucks, like who cares if the service was great or the restaurant looked amazing or the, you know, the music playing or the decor or whatever, right? So, I mean, I mean, Bobby Chess is the other one too. It doesn't matter who he's fighting. It doesn't matter what fight he's calling. Doesn't matter it, what he's drinking. Doesn't matter what he's driving. Doesn't matter. Sure, it doesn't matter what he's driving. Do we think that we need to make for listeners a little bit of that? blame bobby action yeah that's that that's a shirt with bobby chez that says hashtag blame bobby i'm producing it for myself <laughs> probably for patrick's birthday i don't remember when your birthday is when is it you just missed it that's all right you got time to print some out so that'll okay. give you time i mean i i mean <laughs> granted either menza or bobby could sue us or potentially any drink drive drunk driving organization well, it's menza so they'll figure out they'll figure it out <laughs> they'll find the loophole <laughs> greatest oh, mind man. on earth yeah yeah absolutely and, you know the, in terms of homework this was easy homework to do but it's i still do appreciate it because it takes time you know you got to kind of set aside some time so i appreciate it man it was, it was a good time i think next time we have to do some bobby chess fights we've never done them i know and we got to just break our we got to just break bad and do it you know as long as we can well the two that i need to do are chess holyfield and chess Corey sanders and then you can pick the other one but i just need to make sure that i get those two in there and yeah I'm we'll we'll try to maybe balance it out with let him win good. one let yeah. him win one of those titles yeah. the light heavyweight title or whatever yeah i'll do like prince charles williams or some shit yeah 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 yeah. good stuff yeah i appreciate it man hey everybody who listened in actually you haven't listened in yet because i i did tell you last time that i'm going to redo the whole uh, audio podcast and i am the next few days i am going to do that but nonetheless listening in we appreciate it go ahead and subscribe is you watched on youtube subscribe as well leave us a comment little thumbs up etc we'll say hi back maybe uh but if you're on social media 
something wrong with you. I don't know why, but if you're on Twitter slash X, follow Bryn Jonathan Butler at Brynicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Uh, follow me at Boxing History because I don't do the personal shit there anymore. Uh, but also the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. So give us a follow and we'll see you there, Bryn. Talk soon, bro. Thanks, man. And if that guy in the comment section who bitches about my bias against Mayweather starts whining about us talking about his history with beating women, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, save it for something else more worthwhile. Fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you heard him. Peace out, fuckers. All right. Yeah.